Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and Celebrity Interviews Live from the Grotto with Greg Hanna. Greg, what's going on, man? How are you? Hey, man, I'm doing fantastic. I'm so excited to talk to our guest today. Absolutely. The winner of The Voice Season 24, Huntley. Huntley, thanks for stopping by. And uh, it's got to feel so real to be the winner, right? It's a Hey, muscle. what's up, guys? Yeah, I mean, it definitely is surreal. Um, I haven't really been able to go and celebrate with my family yet, so I, it's it's crazy, man. Like I, I can't. It really doesn't even feel like it's happened yet. I keep on opening my phone and just seeing on Google like all these articles, you know, the Voice season twenty four winner, and just seeing my picture and how surprised I looked. And I'm just like, did that happen? It's like it's insane. <laughs> For sure. Go ahead. Oh, that's go. totally crazy. <laughs> hey, real, two two real quick questions, just out of curiosity. When did you decide you wanted to be on the Voice, and when did you decide that you were going to win the Voice? Um, I would say, you know, uh, the way I was discovered uh, was, you know, through a video that I had 500 views on, you know, and um, I I've tried so many times to get on, on these shows and, you know, I've had some success but never aired or, you know, uh, you know, I never got any airtime of me playing. And, you know, this this time, you know, I actually was semi-discovered, uh, you know, actually by one of the casting people who said she's never had someone make it, you know, past the blinds and you know and that's what she's told me and uh you know it, it's it's been a pretty crazy journey since then and um i not one step of this way did i ever think that i was winning this thing dude really like, i mean i don't know if you've Ooh. watched this season like, like if you actually have or if you're just seeing the, who the winner is but this whole season has a way bigger story and way bigger picture to it than just me winning um i mean the talent the level this season was unbelievable so i am very proud that i did win this season because the amount of talent that was here was, I mean, crazy. I mean, you I know, can't and it's interesting it. to give people not to give up. 500 views. You know how many people want to go viral social media wise? I'm going to ask a social media question now. That's this is the, the fun thing about, you know, interviewing somebody and hearing what question, how they answered it. 500 views. A lot of people give up, right? In their music, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh, am I ever going to go viral? Anything going to happen? I don't even want to know how many views you have now, man. We're not going to even yeah. talk about it, Mr. I mean, Virality, I, but yeah. It's insane. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I literally was, I mean, I, you know, I, I would say I'm old, but I'm definitely not TikTok generation, you know, worthy, you know, and I feel like, you know, I try to get on TikTok and, uh, which I felt silly doing, you know, just because I'm such an old soul that I like, you know, I'm ready, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely more the touring guy and writing music and getting into the studio guy, but the whole social media TikTok world is just something that like, I'm just not. You know, a Jackie Roar always makes fun of me. She says my phone's always dead, that I hate my phone because I, I am that guy, you know. But uh, I try to get on TikTok and I was getting 50 views a video and I had 1,111 people. Literally, that was my number before I started this. And now I'm up to, I think, 174,000 on TikTok right now. And my <laughs> views are having like millions of views. And it's like, I've never really been like a, you know, oh, I got likes or I got views, but the messages from people saying how inspiring this whole story has been for them and how they're watching it with their sons or their daughters or their son has long hair and he just likes to wear it, you know, long that you make him feel like he could be proud of his hair. Like that kind of stuff just resonates with me, man. You know, it's just like, it's way bigger than just me winning the voice. No, you know, it's amazing. Greg, I want to bring up, did you know I had long hair before, Greg? You did not have any yes, I, hair. Yes, I did long hair. I'll have, to, I'll have to send you pictures of my days in professional wrestling when I had long hair. Yeah, I had I long gotta hair see that. Undertaker and stuff. So, But guess what happened? Speaking of professional wrestling, 
I feel like they've been trying to get me a WWE contract this whole time. <laughs> he calls me, <laughs> he calls me the Undertaker. I think uh, he called me another wrestler name. Uh, I can't remember, but then they had the Triple H in the background. <laughs> I was oh, like, wow! So I, I, I'm a former minor league pro wrestler. Might make is looking to make a comeback in 2024. I'm 50 years old. Will be 51. But I wrestled with The Rock. I wrestled with the Bushwhackers. I wrestled with the Headbangers. John South during the Attitude Era. Oh, so you're a pretty big guy. How tall are you, Huntley? And then I'm going to let Greg have his next question. Yeah, um, I'm 6'3". So okay. that's why I thought it was pretty funny that he said I'd be Undertaker and he'd be Rey Mysterio because we also <laughs> connected to that. We both were early wrestling fans growing up. I was a big wrestling fan. Hulk Hogan was my guy. Oh, I wow. still have his stuffed animal, like the big version of him. Oh, awesome. oh that's crazy. Well, but, hey, before I get to the next question, Neil's a legit 6'10". Just yeah. want to throw that out there. <laughs> oh, you're 6'10"? Yeah. That's cool, man. <laughs> That's so uh, awesome. But let right. me ask you, you know, in, in the knockout round, Huntley, you know, you picked uh, One at Dead or Alive, John Bo and Jovi's uh, take on that. And uh, what made you pick that song? And, you know, tell me about that. You know, if I was going to be honest, you know, they asked us to pick songs, you know, that, you know, that we wanted to do. Uh and like we had, like, I think it was like five song choices. And I, I, I honestly, uh, I think that I'm more of a songwriter and I like recording songs like, you know, that I write that the cover songs, I felt so weird picking uh, like songs to do. Like I felt like I was having the hardest time. And um, honestly, I was going down the list of songs they had cleared for the show. And uh, I got to, it was the last song that I put on my list. And uh, I, I for, as soon as I played the intro and that guitar went on, I mean, my buddy Bias, who was also on the show, looked at each other and I was like, I have to put this on there. Like, this would be so cool if I did this before even I, you know, I, of course, I, you know, I'm a big fan of, bon, you know, Bon Jovi, but like, I've never sang the song before ever. So the fact that it and then, of course, the one song I didn't know that I put on the list gets called that I'm like, uh oh, <laughs> I was like, now I can't sound karaoke on it, you know, so. Yeah, wow. you crushed it. Yeah, I, yeah, my family in Jersey, my family back in Jersey that, you know, my mom's sides all from Jersey. They were pumped. <laughs> wow. Wow. You know, and when you talk about that and picking a song and singing another song, what are your what are your goals music wise? Where do you want to go from here after winning it? You know, I, I think, you know, I did showcase that I could do a lot of different styles of music. You know, uh, I definitely would really like to release, uh, you know, music as soon as I can. Uh, but touring, you know, maybe with an act that already has a staple, you know, kind of I would like to learn, you know, first, you know, I, I'm kind of coming in this as like, you know, a 33 year old rookie. And I just would love to kind of learn first and then just add it to my knowledge that I've even gained here on the show and seeing what really it means to put on a show. And I think that they've shown me what a Huntley show looks like, especially that mm -hmm. last one you know, getting shot up to the ceiling by some rockets and like, you know, having the whole band up there and the backup singers. And, you know, uh, I, I think that it's really important to me to, you know, I to rebirth rock and roll a lot. You know, I know I played a lot of those like commercial songs, like Way Down We Go and Daylight, but I think that like, I really do want to bring some real rock and roll back first. Mm -hmm. Like, I really want to bring some like, like, you know, even though I had that Southern, you know, grit and growl in my voice, it can kind of be added to any genre of music. And I think that, you know, people are dying for some rock and roll, not just here in America, like all around the world. And that's just what I've noticed from the support that I've gotten. Well, who are your favorite rockers, you know, growing up or uh, listening to now, or who do you go back to? Um, I'm definitely um, a lot. I'm, 
really kind of stuck in the past, uh, but definitely Chris Cornell, Joe Cocker, um, uh, you know, definitely Lenny Kravitz. Uh, I mean, Sebastian Bach. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of guys on that list that, you know, you know, Steven Tyler, he was my very yeah. first big no, but Steven Tyler, uh, I, I mean, that guy definitely influenced me a lot, but I, I would say really, uh, you know, I've always just been drawn to the feeling of a song and I've never really been obsessed with any singers. I've never been like, Oh, I'm going to try to sound like that guy. It's just like, it's the way I sing and the guys that I've grown up to loving. I think they definitely influence my voice. All right. So Greg has a question. He asks all the celebrities and I'm, I now you're probably saying I'm a celebrity. You are a celebrity now. <laughs> so there you go. But go ahead, Greg, with your question. All right, Huntley. <laughs> it's, uh, it's been amazing talking to you and, uh, and thanks for taking the time to stop by here at Celebrity News live from the Grotto. And uh, tell me, what is the most important thing in life you feel you've ever learned? That family comes first, no matter what. Cool. Powerful and, answer. That's a powerful yeah, answer. Very powerful. Can you give us a little bit of the why? Because no matter what's going on, like I'm on a right now, what I accomplish is so amazing. But it's a TV show, man. You know what I mean? Like, my career is going to be amazing. But, you know, at the end of the day, if I don't have my daughter and my son and their families with me, like, at the end of this, if I don't have my family with me, it's not going to matter, you know? And even sitting here at this hotel right now, and, like, I won. All my friends that were on the season are gone. All the voice contestants are gone, and I'm here in this hotel all by myself. Like, you know, the main thing in life is that you find the things that make you happy in life. And if my family's not there and it's not doing justice for my family, then it has no business being around me. Well, we appreciate it, Huntley. That was so powerful. Greg, what a great uh, interview. Thanks again, Huntley. Best Thank place you guys. for you. Where can they follow you? Um, They can follow me at Huntley Music, H-U-N-T-L-E-Y Music on Instagram and Huntley Official on, uh, in, on TikTok. All right. That was a special wow. uh, that was a special simulcast of the Neil Haley show and celebrity interviews live from the Grotto with Greg Hanna. Guys, take care. We're back to the Neil Haley show. My guest today is former Raider and Viking, James Harris. James, thanks. Oh, there you go. And he's putting right up the book from the playing fields to the feds, your book. And James Harris, welcome back on the show. You have a lot to talk about. But, you know, what about your feedback so far from your book from all the people who've read? You've got to be happy about that. I'm very happy, man. The feedback has been real good. Um, people that that's have read it, they love it. Uh, they think it should be a movie. And they pass it on to other people and letting them know, man, this is a book that you should read. And everyone I've met with or talked with said it's a book that they put it down and cannot understand why they have to run back and pick it up. And see, James, everybody I tell the story to in Hollywood so far, they're like, really? No, you're kidding me. And so yeah. that's the kind of thing without giving away the book and reading it, but then it should be made in a movie, no doubt, because your story we talked about before is just unreal. Yeah, it's a real story, but it's a real story, man. That's something I'm not proud of. But, hey, I did it. I'm sorry. I didn't hurt anyone. I disappointed some, but I didn't hurt anyone, I hope. And if I did, I really apologize because that wasn't my true intentions on hurting anyone. I was just um, in a prison that I didn't know how to get out of. How did you survive in prison? I guess knowing people, like, how was that when you went to prison? Well, where I grew up at, man, 
kind of compare, I mean, kind of uh, prepare you for prison. You know, you got a lot of guys that go to jail from where you come from, and they kind of tell you how to jail. And they teach you how to jail. That's a shame that people teach you how to jail. And when I went to, to federal penitentiary, I actually had an opportunity to relax. I didn't have to live up to this persona uh, of being a um, great person every day. I just in. And that's not what I want. I don't want to just blend in. I want to be special all the time. And it got too easy in prison to blend in because it was no expectations on me. It was just, um, I'm here. Um, I got to do what everybody else does. I didn't like that, but I had to deal with it. I'd rather have expectations on me and have to be responsible for people than not. That's so true. And so you're saying that the survival was because of where you grew up. And no, also, but then you, but again, everyone was always talking to you when you were on, after your career or before going to jail that, oh man, James, give me money here. Give me money here. You're big star. You're big this, you're big that. No pressure when you're in jail. So what did you do in jail? Well, I worked in a breakery. I made bread. I made breakfast. Um, I made the cakes. I made donuts. And uh, I stayed out the way. I did what I was supposed to do to get get in there and get out of there. It wasn't about nothing but doing my little time and getting back to my family, getting back to the things that I love to do and becoming a respectable father to the to my family. Totally. That's the key. So let's talk about, you know, um, what things will people be surprised without giving any thing in the book like stories. Do you talk about your story from growing up all the way to prison and after do you put life after prison too in the book? No, that no, that's not in the book. Um that's in the movie script. That's in the script. In the book it just it ends um when I get to prison. Okay. So you're teasing them. You're yeah, teasing them. A little bit. Yeah. I I don't want to get a give the movie away. <laughs> and then I the book Book doesn't give the detail as the movie's going to give about what you did to really make this happen, right? Right, right, right. The the, the script, yeah, the book is just enough to take you where you want more. I had a guy from Wyoming said, uh, "Your book left me wanting more," and um, I told him I'm going to give him more in the movie. Wanted more, and then a guy from uh, Idaho, of all places, uh, said to me, "This should be a, a theories." I told him, "I say, well, you have to leave that up to the studios." <laughs> exactly, and it's just something unreal. Has anyone ever done what you've done without really giving that away? What you did while playing in the NFL? Well, I hope no one else did what I did while I was playing in the NFL. I'm not proud of doing what I did while I was playing NFL because it looks like I was being greedy. And I really wasn't being greedy because you got to understand I was a free agent. I was a good player, but I was a free agent because I made a lot of mistakes along the way to get to the NFL. So the NFL actually gave me an opportunity. And I looked at the NFL as an opportunity to become something better. But the problem was I never changed my ways. I never changed what the things that I was doing. I only got good at uh, disguising them. 
and, and I hope a young guy that's straddling the fence, it's okay to straddle the fence and read my book and find out it's not okay to straddle the fence. When you get a great opportunity like uh, to play in the NFL or even get a great job, leave what you was doing alone because it's okay to leave your past. But I didn't know how to turn it loose because I was supporting a lot of people uh, because I was the guy that had to connect. And so I stopped with money. All right, so let's talk about, uh, we're going to talk about some people need, definitely pick up the book. It's available on Amazon. The audiobook's coming. Everything's coming. There you go, from the playing field to the feds. But you have a new announcement. We got merch, right? We got a merchandise store now. Yeah, man. Um, it's not hit the market yet. It's still in progress. But uh, I got shirts, uh, sweatshirts coming out uh, with the book cover and different different uh, slogans and things like that. And it's going to be called from the playing fields to the feds because the field could be anything. It could be the field. Your, your field could be um, being a doctor. Your field could be a lawyer. Your field could be a teacher. And something derails you along the way that may in, may, may make you end up in the feds. So it's just not about a football field. It could be your field. Uh, it could be a soccer guy. It could be a lawyer. It could be a doctor. It could be a teacher. It could be a radio personnel. It could be a, a actor. Whatever field you in, you could get derailed. Yeah, because it's very easy to make the wrong decisions at times, right? Especially when you're it, caught up in work. It takes 30 seconds to make, to make the worst mistake you ever made in your life. 30 seconds. If you just take 30 seconds out of your time before you make a decision, you might Totally, totally. All right, best place people can go is to Amazon, right? Do you have a website too, James? Yeah. Uh, my website is um, Amazon. Well, my website is uh, from the playing fields to the feds. You can find my book at Amazon online, or you can find it at Barnes & Noble online. I guarantee you, you're going to enjoy the book all the way to the end, and it's going to leave you wanting more, 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 and that's why I'm giving you the movie. All the kids you want to make it out of. Oh, we're ready. Okay. Thanks again, James. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Strategic Wealth Strategies Podcast with our host, Alan Porter. Alan, what's going on, man? How are you? Hey, it's a great day in North Carolina. The sun's out. I almost played golf this afternoon, but I had this interview to do. So getting hey, ready to uh, play golf this weekend, though. Oh, man, I know you will golf. That's what he just shows you. Uh, being in a profession like Alan's or being an entrepreneur, you have the flexibility to do things that you want, especially anytime you want. And our guest today is fantastic, isn't it, Alan? Absolutely. Uh, I've, I've known him uh, quite a while. I've met him through Bob Larson. And Bob is one of the best financial planners in the United States. And Daryl uh, has now become president of, uh, of the company uh, for Bob. And he's doing a fantastic job for him. But today's right. interview with uh, Daryl is something that people need to understand because they, they don't understand. It's just like everything I talk about, Neil. They're, they're taught to think uh, about Wall Street and nothing else, basically. But this is just another form of securing money for people in retirement. All right, great. So let's just get started. Tell me who is Settlement Masters and what does your firm do? 
Great question. Settlement Masters is a nationally known life settlement broker. And as a result, we have a fiduciary responsibility to represent the policy owner when they make a decision to sell their policy. Now, we were formed in 2008. Alan referred to Bob Larson. Between Bob and I, we've got more than five decades of life insurance experience that we bring to every single client situation we're involved with. And the goal of our process is to eliminate liability for everybody that's involved in the transaction, which typically means the client, the advisor, as well as ourselves, our firm. Well, Bob, let me ask you this. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Daryl, let me ask you this. Why is helping a client know about life settlements so important? Again, a great question. You know, it's estimated that somewhere in the vicinity of 8 million life insurance policies insuring older age clients. Now, for us, older age means somebody that's over the age of 65, but approximately 8 million policies are going to be lapsed or surrendered on an annual basis. And that trend is projected to continue for several more years. And when you lapse or surrender a contract, basically that means at lapse, you get nothing. If you surrender it, you're basically surrendering it back to the insurance company, giving it back to them for what we call their salvage value, which typically, again, means very little. Now, in the case of a life settlement client, on average, they get about five times more than what they would get through a surrender back to the insurance company. In our mind, that's information that we think a client would want to know that you can help them solve that problem or get that kind of result for them. So All true. right, that's great information for sure. Can you tell me why would a policy owner go to settlement masters versus companies that, that are advertised on TV? You know, the companies that advertise on TV represent the buyer of the policy. And as a buyer, their objective first of all, is to do what? Pay the least amount possible. You know, I would compare it to selling your house. You have a real estate broker whose job is to promote the sale of your house to get you the highest and best offer. The party on the other side representing that buyer, they want to pay the least amount possible. The key is the buyers that advertise on TV have no responsibility whatsoever back to the policy owner. They only have a responsibility to the buyer. Whereas with settlement masters, as a broker that represents the policy owner, our job is to get multiple buyers to start bidding against one another in order to drive the price of that policy up to the highest amount possible and get the ultimate maximum money for the client. Well, Daryl, you mentioned about uh, protecting everybody in, for, uh, in liability about this transaction. Why is that so important? You know, the process that we go through with every single client is we want them to understand that their life insurance is an asset and it's a valuable asset. And so we want to show them ways that they can keep some or all of that policy and then compare that option to the market value of the contract. Now, in that process, 
we feel it's the best way to educate them as to their options so that they ultimately can make the best decision possible for their family. All right, that's so important because making that best decision, who is eligible for a life settlement? Again, you know, if you Google, we all go to the internet, right? The first thing we do is we wanna Google and get information about something. So if you go to the internet and you Google a life settlement, or you listen to the advertisements that are on TV, they'll tell you that anybody that's 65 or older that has $100,000 or more life insurance policy may be eligible for a life settlement. We're gonna look at it and say, let's take a look at an example. Let's take a look at a 65 year old male. For that individual who's standard health, they're gonna have a life expectancy of approximately 21 years. Now the institutional market that buys policies, they like to buy policies where the insured has a life expectancy of about 12 years. And the life expectancy means an estimate of how long that individual is gonna to continue to live. Well, if a 65-year-old in normal health has a 21-year life expectancy, but the marketplace is saying, we wanna buy policies for people with, let's say 12 years or less, well, then that tells us that that 65-year-old is gonna to have to have multiple major medical issues. Things like a cancer history, COPD, Huntington's disease, coronary artery history, something that's going to shorten that life expectancy. Now, if we change that dynamic a little bit and we say, well, let's look at a 75-year-old. Well, a 75-year-old male, standard health, has about a 15-year life expectancy. So again, while certainly closer to what the market is looking for, maybe that 75-year-old still needs to have some medical issue going on, but certainly not to the same magnitude that the 65-year-old would have to have. So it's our opinion that the real target market for a life settlement would be somebody who's 75 and older, because typically as we get older, we begin to have medical issues taking place. So we think 75 is, is a better benchmark age to look at. Darrell, let me ask you this important question. How does a new client, how do you get started with a new client? So from an advisor perspective, we would ask the advisor to have an initial conversation with the client. And as part of that conversation, run an illustration on their existing life insurance policy. Because that illustration is going to help understand how much money is it going to take to keep that policy in force, as we call it, active, okay? The next thing that we wanna be able to have is a little bit of medical information. We use what we call our non-med form. But when you have that illustration and you can then have a conversation with the client, there's typically an aha moment that happens. That aha moment is, holy cow, I didn't realize it was gonna take that much money to keep the policy in force, which naturally leads to the question of, is that affordable? Is that something that within that client's financial plan, they could afford to allocate to this particular asset in order to keep it going? Maybe they look at it and say, 
We no longer need the life insurance policy. Many clients have acquired these policies as part of an overall estate plan. And they've done the planning necessary now to find that they no longer need the policy. So you have that opportunity to have that discussion with them and find out, do they really need the policy? And if they say, I don't think I need it, I don't think I can afford it, then the easy question is, would it make sense to do an audit of the policy and evaluate all of the options that you have in order to keep it or in order to maximize its value? With that, we then ask for that non-med. So we, we ask an advisor to do a little bit of field underwriting, ask some medical questions, so not so that they become an expert in life expectancy estimates, but we use that information so we can create just an initial range that we believe. Again, we've got thousands of life expectancy reports to be able to look to and turn to. We can pretty easily gauge, if we understand the medical conditions, where that individual's life expectancy may fall, and we can create a preliminary value. So when we have an initial conversation with the client, we can give them a preliminary value of what the policy may be worth in the marketplace and also show them what it's going to take to keep it through the use of those illustrations. Wow, this is just really interesting, interesting information. Once a client decides to move ahead with the full evaluation process, how long does it generally take to complete? At that step, it takes approximately 60 days to complete. Now, one of the things that we have always done with advisors is and clients is we set up a timeline at the very outset of the case so that we let the client and advisor know when we anticipate completing the transaction and the pieces that are part of the transaction when they expect to be completed. Each week, we give an email update to the client and the advisor in order to let them know where we're at with the timeline. Sometimes we need to extend that timeline. Maybe it takes longer to complete gathering medical records or the completion of a life expectancy report. But there's also situations where maybe we've budgeted 10 days to complete a particular aspect of the case, and we are able to complete it in five days. Then we're going to let everybody know we've been able to shorten that time frame up. But we're keeping them abreast of what's transpiring every single week during the course of the transaction. Well, Dale, this is a very important question to me. Of course, I've already done some of this, but what do you recommend to advisors uh, to find life settlement cases? You know, the first place that we would always recommend an advisor go to is within their existing book of clients. You know, look at those people that are age 75 and older. Offer to do a policy review for them. Gather the information that we need. Many advisors turn to us as well. Alan, you're aware of this, where you receive referrals from CPAs. You receive referrals from attorneys, especially estate planning attorneys or elder care attorneys. Talk to them about the problem that exists with many of their 
older age clients. Again, let's go back to that 8 million policies a year are lapsing or being surrendered. I can assure you the advisors in terms of the CPAs and attorneys, they don't know about that kind of statistic. And again, when you think of the attorney, especially the estate planning attorney who has worked with a client and they've built an estate plan and part of that plan included the uh, existence of life insurance that's going to provide a, a liquidity component when the people pass away, most of the time the attorney doesn't know once the plan's been done, what's the status of that liquidity? That's an integral part of that plan. So, you know, talk to them about the problem and that you work with a firm that can help the client, you know, fix the policy. And when we talk about fixing, we're including looking at the market value of that contract so that the client, again, can evaluate what options are best for them. Oh there, I, you know, I've, I've always said, you know, people ask me what, what I do. I said, it's not what I do, it's why I do it. But, you know, I, I tell people I create my business just like a doctor after question after question. But I have a team of people that I collaborate with, top CPAs, top tax-specific attorneys, and other specialists in, your field, in their fields just like you. And together, we'll collaborate to come up with a solution for people's financial problems that they're not aware of. Totally. Wow. It's such great information. Where can we find information on you, Daryl? Where's the best place? Uh, the best place would be our website, www.thesettlementmasters.com. So T-H-E-S-E-T-T-L-E-M-E-N-T-M-A-S-T-E-R-S.com. TheSettlementMasters.com. All right. Some great stuff, Alan, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. People need to know about this, and they don't. Uh, just like all the stuff we talk about, Neil, or, or Neil, we just, there's just education. They need to be educated for sure. All right, guys. Appreciate it. That was the Strategic Wall Strategies Podcast, guys. Take care. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and the Love Is Podcast. I'm excited to welcome the co-host. Host of the Love is Podcast, Kim Sorrell. Kim, how are you? And I know excited about our guest as we had the brothers on before, but now we have them alone to talk about this project. Isn't that true, Kim? I'm excited. Absolutely. Andy Irwin, my word. I am a big fan of yours, I have to say. You have just this very unique way of finding the greatest stories, just the deepest stories. I can only imagine Jesus Revolution, one of my favorite movies of all time. You've, you're just doing it. And I am so happy to welcome you to our show. Thank you, guys. Neil and Kim, I appreciate y'all having us on. You know, it's been an exciting um, period of time to be a person of faith in, in, in entertainment. And uh, for a long time, we were kind of the redheaded stepchild that, you know, the industry just tolerated and put up with. And then for the first time, uh, we're getting invited to kind of be able to tell our stories on the biggest stage and um so you know it's been awesome to see moments of that like i can imagine uh jesus revolution was my brother's film that i got to produce uh be a producer on but john that was a passion project for him and you know it was a risky endeavor and to see the audience show up and really embrace that story um uh, was special and so it's uh I'd love to get to tell stories for a living it's it's, it's a privilege Awesome. You know, and so when you thought about this project, what made you excited about this project, 
when you first heard about it, you know? Well, this this story is, you know, it's a true story um, of, about a, a father that his wife um, has died of an illness. And it turns out uh, uh, to be uh, something that his daughter has the same illness and needs a liver transplant. And he's fighting for his daughter's life, trying to keep his head above water. And this unlikely hero comes along uh, named Sharon that Hillary Swank plays in the film and fights for this family and tries to rally the community around him, led to the local church getting her airlifted out in the midst of the biggest blizzard in the history of Kentucky. And uh, it's just an amazing true story. It delivers a rush of hope, and that's a signature of any story we invest in. Uh, but it came to us from the most unlikely place. Dave Matthews of the Dave Matthews Band uh, had seen this story. He's not necessarily a person of faith that I understand, but he saw the story and fell in love with it and said, I want to see that made as a movie. And so he brought it to uh, a producer friend who brought it to Lionsgate. And Lionsgate was like, hey, this needs to, this is faith. It needs to go to our faith guys. So they brought it to us. We read the synopsis and found out it had to do with Southeast Christian Church in Louisville. And we said, not only do we know this story well, but the the chairman of our board is an elder at that church. We know exactly this story. We, we want to be a part of it. So it was just one that we're like, it's a rush of hope. And it's a story where the church gets to be the hero and you can't get something better than that. Wow. Ordinary Angels is the, the movie that you're talking about that is going to be released in February. And what a great story. And it's so funny that you say that about the church and the elder and whatever, because your movies, uh, not just with that story, but every movie that I've read about, that I hear about the stories, there's stories of the actors that they came in a certain way and their story unfolds and stories of whoever and their story unfolds. It's like there's stories inside stories inside stories yeah. in all of the movies that you've done that I believe have all been top 10 in the box office opening weekend, right? Right. It's been it's been amazing because I think for a long time, you know, we were definitely outsiders in the industry. And then for the first time, um, uh, you know, the audience really flexed their muscles this year with their tickets. So Jesus Revolution has a moment where it just is a special moment in time and does amazing in the box office. And then on the back of that, um, Angel Studios, their film Sound of Freedom comes out and just absolutely blows the doors wide open. And for the first time now, studios are coming to us and saying, we want to make more movies. And it's just a time where as Christians, your voice is being clearly heard. And it's just special. And we we, we try to not lose sight of the mission field of our movie sets. And so we, you know, as Christians in the entertainment industry, we specifically work with people from across the board. They don't have to be Christians to be a part of our product. And as long as we um, are the ones kind of telling the story. And so we, what we're finding is two things. People that are, they're uh, benevolent towards faith. They're not hostile towards it. And they're mainstream talent that's not afraid to do faith films now. And then the second thing is there's these Christians that are, are big actors that are able to come out and say, I, this is what I believe too. So in this case, Alan Richson uh, stars in it with Hilary Swank. Alan's the star of the new uh, Reacher series on Amazon. And one of the biggest, most muscular guys I've ever met. Uh, but he's a former Marine, and he has a, a YouTube channel that he preaches on. And so uh, to give him a platform to utilize his voice as a person of faith was extremely exciting.
And what I'm hearing from all this is just, again, it just keeps growing and growing and growing. And I think it's all about community, how the churches are all going out, how everyone together are making these events when movies are not getting huge attendance anymore in in theaters. And somehow because of the atmosphere, the expectation, everyone's just, you have the community that wants to keep going out and see great films. I mean, that is the case. It's, um, you know, I think uh, the industry has been a little bit freaked out because they've always, for the past 15 years, their staple has been superhero films. And superhero films was kind of what kept the industry, you know, uh, doing healthy for years. But after COVID, for whatever reason, superhero films just haven't been connecting. And uh, people are craving different kind of content. So the studios are desperately searching for a loyal fan base that will buy tickets to the theaters. And so on on the back end of that, to have Jesus Revolution Sound of Freedom make such a statement of the loyalty of this audience, that's why the studios now are coming to us and be like, how do we do more of this more more of these movies? So with with Kingdom, we've actually got five films coming out this year theatrically. And uh it's exciting to kind of to see the the audience really respected. Yeah, that is that is so exciting. And the films are such incredible quality. And I know you probably get that a lot because they used to be cheesy Christian films and for whatever reason, but now they're as good or better and better and better than anything else that's out there. And so I think people might be wondering, how does a kid from Alabama, I think you're from Alabama, yeah, yeah. end up sitting in the chair that you're sitting in? And I know your dad played a role in that and what, what he did for a living, but how did you get started on all of this? You know, it, it, my brother and I started when we were kids, and it was just kind of a uh, just a, a a crazy dream that we had of doing movies. You know, uh, but God kind of plants that in your heart, and you just chase it. And you know, sometimes it works out, sometimes times it doesn't. But my dad always said, "Whatever you give twenty years of your life to, you have the opportunity to be successful at." And so we just kind of paid our dues one day at a time trying our best to learn a craft that we didn't understand. And we were part of the cheese for a long time, um, you know, because there was a bunch of us Christians that were really trying hard to do a, a craft that we didn't have a lot of training in. And so we had to learn on the job. And so there was a lot of pitfalls along the way of things that we had to just learn how to be able to do. Um, I think the exciting thing was though, is like, as you try things, you find your voice and you get the anger of what do you, what, what is it that you want to say? And so for us, it was a movie called Woodlawn. It was an Alabama story. Uh, it was not financially successful, but it was the movie we found our voice on. And we love telling underdog, redemption, true stories. That's what we do. And uh, that led to the movie I Can Only Imagine. And then that's what blew the doors off for us to be able to do it full time. And uh, But it was a, for a long time, it was just a big, expensive hobby until finally it became a career. And I'm privileged that I get to wake up every day and tell stories for a living now. Now let's talk about you did. So a lot of people give up after, you know, not making money doing their passion projects, right? Tell them not to give up. What would be your saying in that area? Because it would, before that hat, before the blockbuster, it was, it was, Hey, you're just doing this as a, a, for an expensive hobby. Explain to people how they need to keep going, regardless if they feel that there's these downtimes in their, in their passion, what they love to do. Yeah. I, I think, for me, it's like letting go of the entitlement. Uh, um, uh, you're not guaranteed a moment to win. Uh, it has to be a passion for the story and what you 
what you really want to say. And I think the most powerful moment for us, for me, the most powerful moment for me was when I let go of the fear of what people thought of me. Mm-hmm. And and I stopped having this entitled, I need to be discovered, I need to be, and I just, I just had an open hand. And when we were doing the movie, I can only imagine, we were coming off, you know, a, a, a loss for the last film. And we were in a pretty precarious place where we were doing it independently. It was a $7 million budget. I didn't have, um, Dennis Quaid was not a part of the film yet. Didn't have a star. And we're directing it in Oklahoma. And I came home for the first day of set and I had a panic attack. And I'm like, God, I'm either making the best movie ever or the worst. And I don't know which one it is right now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and God just kind of whispered in my ear and, and it kind of impressed on me. Is like, is that okay? And I was like, well, God, if it's if it's the worst movie ever, it's it's yours. So I'm going to do my best. And there's something powerful that happens when instead of clinging to the boat, being afraid that you're going to drown, when you let go of the boat, and you're like, I'm going to swim. And if I drown, I drowned. And you just stop. Do I think you make a lot of stupid decisions when it's out of self-preservation and being afraid of looking stupid. And uh, and when you let go of that and you just go for it and just say, okay, if, if this is the last movie I ever do, then then I, it's been a great run. It's been a great ride. And so we kind of just had this place of abandonment, just accepting like, hey, I'm already dead, man. I'm just going to do my best. And uh, and then all of a sudden, you just re- rediscover the joy of storytelling rather than the desire to make it and be discovered. And that's the most pure movie I've ever been a part of. And then God just breathed on the moment and it opens, you know, does $86 million in the box office and just established us being able to do this for the rest of our life. Um, you know, that was a moment that was unexpected, but it was when you have an open hand and just kind of a full heart. Wow. Great story. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So true. And and I love that movie and I, I love your attitude. It's like divorcing yourself from the outcome, right? Like if people like it, people like it. If they don't, they don't. You're You're doing what you believe God is sending you to do. And uh, that takes some guts a lot of times because you're going out on a limb. In your business, there there aren't any guarantees. You can have a blockbuster and then the next movie doesn't doesn't do so well. And so it's uh it's good, I guess, that you it's it, it, the, the the thing that happens is you fall in love with the purpose, the calling, and the stories. And the successes don't define you and the failures don't destroy you. And, uh, and so like when I can only imagine came out and the opening weekend, it, you know, does $17 million in the box office on 1700 screens. And, um, and I'm sitting in a, a, a food court at a, at a mall in Plano, Texas, the movie's playing next door at the theater. Nobody knows who I am. Everybody's walking by me. They you know, could care less, but I'm just like, I'm, I'm, I realize like the moment that's happening in real time. And instead of that being like a moment of validation, like I'm a big deal or, you know, I've made it or finally somebody recognized me. I didn't feel any of that. I felt gratitude. I just sat there with tears in my eyes and I said, God, how cool to be a part of a moment seeing you move. And I'm just grateful to be here. And, uh, and I think that's what replaces it. And so this, you know, I'm not in my movies. The successes don't define me and the failures don't destroy me. I just want to tell the story I'm telling as best I can do something that's honest and put it out there and release the results. All right. When does Ordinary Angels release? When's the release date? February 23rd. It will be everywhere. I'm so proud of this movie. Uh, it is a must watch. Uh, and then 
it'll be followed up uh, shortly after that by several other films we have coming out next year. It's going to be a busy year, but uh, the audience is being paid attention to as never before. You vote with your movie ticket. You want to see more movies like this, see Ordinary Angels February 23rd. Well, we appreciate it, Andy. It was great stuff. And uh, wow. And uh, good luck with the rest of your uh, projects in 2024. It's going to be a great year for you, isn't it? I know it is. I can tell. I appreciate it, Neil Kim. Thank you for so much for lending your voice uh, to what we're doing and, uh, and using your platform. Well, thank you. All right. You're listening and watching the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and the Love is Podcast, guys. Take care. Back to Neil Haley's show, and my guest today is Dr. Ann Hester, CEO of Patient World. How are you, Dr. Ann? I'm too blessed to complain. How about yourself? I'm doing fantastic, and our topic today is involving weight loss. Explain what's coming up uh, very soon for you guys. Well, actually, we just recently released a new course on healthy weight mastery. We realize now that science had it wrong. It's not just calories in, calories out. Uh, there are complex pathways that deal with your weight. And so there are multiple experts involved in this particular course. Uh, we have an endocrinologist who's an obesity expert. She is part of the course. I have a nutritionist who deals with the gut microbiome because people don't realize that there are certain foods that they eat that can sabotage their attempts to lose weight. I have a lifestyle medicine expert. Uh, fitness expert, and then I end up the course with 100 fast facts, so to speak, um, about things people can do easily to impact the weight. Now, the, so many of the things you talk about in this course are important. People just don't understand when they're trying to, to maintain the healthy weight, right? Absolutely. So, for instance, people don't realize that there are certain foods, the ultra-processed foods, that can actually be toxic to the metabolic part of the brain. Uh, we have kind of like a thermostat in the brain. And so once you get a set point and you start losing weight, your body thinks, oh my gosh, she's starving. And so your metabolism drops. And so you're eating fewer calories, you're exercising more, but nothing's happening. Uh, also, we know that there are hunger hormones that impact your diet and your satiety, your, your feeling of fullness. And there are things that we can do to make some changes. And so those are some of the things that people just were not aware of. Also, salt. Salt can actually impact the concentration um, in your bloodstream and can trigger hunger. And we didn't realize that before. So there are a lot of things that people can do differently that so the, can help program the body. So especially when you go eat out, there's lots of salt in the food, so that can really make it difficult to lose weight. Yes, and then water. It's not just a matter of filling up and your stomach feels full, so you don't want to eat. Water also can trigger this complex hormonal cascade, so to speak, that impacts your hunger. So there's a lot out there now that people don't realize uh, that can impact the weight or can sabotage the weight loss attempts. So talk about why water. What, what, how does water help with drinking water? Well, water does a couple of things. Number one, it impacts the stretch receptors in the stomach. And if your stomach is full and the stretch receptors acknowledge, you know, hey, I don't need anything, that can help decrease your appetite. But also, I mentioned salt. Salt has an impact on um, your appetite by changing the concentration of the components in the blood. When you drink water, that kind of 
flips it back toward normalcy. And so the mechanism whereby salt was um, increasing your appetite, that's kind of mitigated by water because you don't have such a high concentration of salt in your bloodstream anymore. So water can impact your weight in more than one mechanism. Seems like that's, that's an important thing is water. How much water do you recommend? I think you should look for at least eight glasses a day. As, as long as they don't have any heart conditions and the doctor has said, I want you to be on a restricted diet or, or kidney problems. If you have a condition and your doctor has said, I want you to limit yourself to X amount, do what the doctor says. But short of that, you know, easily eight glasses a day, and we lose a lot of water, even breathing, walking, exercising, you know, our normal activities, we're losing water all the time. And when our cells become dehydrated, that's not a good thing. What's the best way uh, for people like to get started losing weight? What do you think the best process is? What do they need to do first? I would say look at your diet. I would say cut out all of the processed and ultra-processed foods that are impacting your set point in your brain. So you can try to reset your thermostat. So when you keep adding junk, it is impacting your brain. There is this show, The Biggest Losers, and people lost a ton of weight, and over time, they gained most of it back. And some people gained more than they lost. And it all deals with um, the set point and your brain thinks you're starving, so your metabolism changes, and it's just a very complex array. But the first thing I would say, eat whole foods. You know, get away, you know, get past all of the junk foods, even the ultra-processed foods, the white sugar, um, the, the white rice, white bread, things along those lines. I would cut back on those and eat more whole foods, foods that are like they were when they first came out of the earth. Those are the things that particularly are good for you. So that would be step one. And then the thing that they want to get really going on this is go and take the course today at patientworld.net, right? Yes, and it is deeply discounted now. It's going to be discounted, you know, at least to the end of November. And so they can jump on, sign up. It's called Healthy Weight Mastery, Conquering Obesity and Embracing Wellness. They can get it at a fraction of its cost. And the best place to go is patientworld.net and, and click on courses, right? Yeah. All right. Well, we appreciate it. Great uh, topic. Weight loss is important. Weight to really sustain the correct weight, the proper weight, looking at BMIs and all those things. Weight is the beginning process that you want to begin 2024 the right way. Start to uh, eat healthy. So we appreciate it. All right. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. All right. Can you get put that in the folder as soon as Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Strategic Wealth Strategy Podcast with our host, Alan Porter. Alan, what's going on, man? How are you? How you doing? It's a beautiful day out here in North Carolina. Carolina, a little cool, but I'm doing fine. Yes, we're getting very, very close to Christmas. I can't yes. believe it. December, halfway gone already. I guess we're how many days till the new year? And who who knows? And that's why we have these great conversations today. And Alan, today we're going to kind of talk about some uh, involving talking more about 
uh, different types of plans and investments and things like this. So why do people save money in a qualified plan like a 401k, a 403b, a 457, or an IRA? Well, they think it's a tax deduction. But, uh, you know, every every dollar uh, that they put in, it is a tax deduction now, but it grows over a 30-year period. And I tell people, would you rather pay taxes on the seed, the smaller portion or the harvest, the larger portion? And I'll tell you what, the government wants you to pay, this, pay the taxes on that larger portion at a tax rate that they're going to determine in the future. And I'm going to give you an example. Let's say uh, you've got a tax deduction now, and you're putting $500 a month in, so that's $6,000 a year and you put that into an account, that's $180,000 over 30 years. Now, you haven't paid taxes on that $180,000, but let's say it grows at a, a uh, percentage of 6% net of fees over that 30-year period. Well, now that account is $750,000. So what would you rather do? Pay taxes at a tax rate that is lowest in 70 years on $180,000 or pay taxes in retirement when you can't afford that on $750,000 at a tax rate that's most likely to be higher. And people don't understand this. We've been inundated by the, by the propaganda of Wall Street to invest in your 401k. That's the best retirement plan available. Well, it's not the best retirement plan. Oh, it's, it's definitely because of just different things you've talked about before on this program. And it's just like, you just don't know. And especially with this economy, you, and all these different things and the taxes. And we'll talk about this. What is the fallacy in this type of thinking? Well, the first, like I said, you're paying taxes on, on a larger portion. But, you know, the thing about a 401k, people don't understand, you know, it, it's, it's invested in the stock market and whatever, but it doesn't protect you from the risk in retirement. It only compounds. It. And, you know, I tell people you need to be, be protected not only now in your family, but also in the future and have things that are tax-free, gross tax deferred, but also give you ability to have long-term care assets that are tax-free for pennies on the dollar. And people don't do not understand this. They think, well, I'm never gonna need long-term care. Well, long-term care affects 60, excuse me, 70% of all Americans. And people between the age of 18 and 64 are on long-term care right now. Long-term care right now, it'll cost 50 to $200,000 a year, and it goes up by 6% every year. That, that seems like a good business model for the person paying for that, right? Not them paying for it, but the people that own them, right? That's crazy. That's like sometimes more money it costs to live there than live in a, a, a luxury apartment, Alan. Oh, yeah. With the, with... Absolutely. Right. Crazy. Are, are people paying a fee for management of these plans? Well, I, I get a kick out of this one. Uh, now, there's, there's a video by... Uh, Tony Robbins, I'm sure everybody knows Tony Robbins, a very smart man. And he states in that video that 58% of the people don't even think there's a fee in a 401k. The average fee in a 401k is 2.99%. And just a 1% fee, Neil, in the 30-year period will reduce your income by one-third. And that 2.99, people can have less than half of their money when they go to retire, and they have no idea about it. What type but of investments are... Okay, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. What type of investments are the, in these plans? Well, think about it. Most, most of these 401ks, they have mutual funds. And of course, a stock portfolio, but people don't know what they're investing in. 
Oh, I mean, you know, Dave Ramsey, buy term and invest the difference. The worst advice I've ever heard in my life. Because, you know, 99% of the people are going to buy term, but they're not going to invest the difference. And the 1% that do invest the difference, they have no idea what they're investing in. But like mutual funds, mutual funds have fees that are over 4%. Now, this is by a Forbes article I can send to anybody. And, you know, like I said, their fees are just unbelievable. Not only the fees that you have in your 401k, but the fees are attached 